Well, I've, I've attended this church since first grade when my parents moved to Mansfield. And, um, you know, thinking back on the people that I know, um, Charlie and Perry gave me my, gave me a Bible when I was in third grade. I was baptized in the church in the seventh grade by Brother Sluter, so he was, uh, at that time we called him, we called him brother. The church certainly has grown in uh, the years since I've been here. We were down, we were on 2nd Street. If there were 50 people in the congregation, you know, on Sunday night, that was a, that was good oh, attendance. So the uh, sanctuary was small, but um, the church has always been in, in a growing mode. I don't remember the church necessarily having any giant contributors. I remember it just being an effort every time we've had a capital campaign and one in which the whole church participated and pulled together to make it happen. Obviously moving from that location was a big, big deal. I was called by Gene Strauss and asked, will you sell bonds to build the new sanctuary here, which is the chapel now? I was 22 years old when I was asked to sell these bonds. That was a little bit of a challenge. You had to give people the vision. So you had to convince people that this is an investment, but it's, it's way more than an investment in financial terms. It's an investment in the future of this congregation, the youth, people that haven't moved to Mansfield, but will. And you know, for this, to look at this chapel now and, and think that that was, a, that was a big deal, it was a big deal, you know, in 1981. What we needed when we were younger was for people to invest in our church so that as we had our family and were raising our girls, this church would be here for us. Now we have to understand that it's now is our time. This church thinks about future generations. We certainly do. We have two grandchildren that come here. There's nothing that makes us more proud than that. There were coaches and teachers and people that were members of this church, but their spirituality extended, you know, onto the onto the field of competition or into the classroom, and those people filled our lives. And uh, I see people here loving uh, Griffin and Logan in the same way that they loved our daughters. I just want people to know that they can come here, they can have friends here, they can worship here. I want it to be a place where they feel comfortable. And I want them to know that people before them have their Griffin was baptized right here. Uh, so to see that, be a part of that, uh, that's a legacy for us. And uh, I would hope future generations can enjoy that too. Everything we do. Everything we do. Everything we do. We do together. Everything we do. <laughs> we, we, we do to say one? the other thing? Everything we do, I'm we Randall do. Randall and I'm Linda, and everything we do, we do together. <laughs> everything we do, we do together. Together. Okay. <laughs> Can we do that again? Everything we do, we do together. 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 Together.
Well, welcome you today. Welcome those here uh, at the 930 services at the Well and the Well Cafe. If we have not met, my name is David, and I serve as a senior pastor here, and I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to share uh, this second message of this series, uh, focusing on this, this singular word together. Before, uh, before I dive into that, I want to add a word uh, to the prayers that we are offering in all of our services this weekend as we, uh, we think particularly about the, the Tree of Life uh, Synagogue in Pittsburgh and the, uh, the act of violence there. Uh, we are collecting collectively, always disconcerted, uncomfortable when we see senseless acts of violence take place. Uh, when, when something happens that seems to be at random and, and there's, there's no way for us to even understand the, the, the question and a response to the question of why something would happen or what, what was the intent in, involved in this. But there are also instances where the motive behind an act of violence is clear. And those who would perpetuate those types of evil, part of what they want to convey is the motive that is behind uh, the act of violence that they uh, would engage in. And so as a, as a minister of the Christian gospel, I want to share with you something I have come to understand, and I think it's important for us all to understand, uh, and that is this, that anti-Semitism was born out of a perversion of the Christian gospel. That's the source of it. That's where it comes from. And, and so Christians, I believe, Christians are responsible to be among the first to firmly and definitively reject the misreading of the Scripture and the misunderstanding of the relationship between the Christian community and the Jewish community that is the, at the heart of that hate. It is not only an attack on our Jewish brothers and sisters, it's an attack on the purity and the truth of the gospel. And so I wanna encourage you in that, to, 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 to think about that in that way, that as Christians, as men and women of faith who claim, uh, uh, claim loyalty to, to Christ as Lord and Savior of our lives, part of our responsibility is, is to speak truth and to call out falsehood uh, to, to defend the, uh, the, the gospel, the, the story of God's love at work in the world, uh, the story that begins with Abraham extending all the way through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, and so again, I just want you to hear that because I think that's important for the church to know, the church to understand, and the church to have the boldness and, and, the, and the courage to speak that word against any, anything that is a, a, a fundamental misunderstanding of what we, what we claim and what we have given our lives to. Now, with that being said, uh, again, we're in the second week of this series. Uh, some of you were here last week, and if you were here, uh, hopefully you had the chance to take the tour that we set up for you uh, that highlights the various aspects uh, of the plans that have been developed for the future expansion and enhancement uh, of our campus here and the facilities that we have uh, to, to engage in the ministry that we do. If you were not here last weekend and you didn't have the chance to take that tour, you can still do that today. At any of our connecting points, you can pick up this map. Uh, which will show you where the different locations are, where you will find images and floor plans that highlight the various aspects uh, of the plan that has been developed by our building planning team. There's also uh, some frequently asked questions on the back, some information for you there. Uh, I will just say, if you were here last week and you told uh, everyone about the cupcakes and the popcorn bar and all, that's not set up today, okay? So I'm sorry about that, but you can still go uh, and see that. I encourage you to do that. It'll give you a better appreciation 
vision for what is before you uh, as, we, as we begin this work together. Last week I said there's a few things you're going to see each week. One of them is this passage of Scripture from Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 9. Uh, our theme verse, which is two are better than one because a good return comes when two work together. And so as we look at the great work that is before us as a congregation, we know that none of us can do it by ourselves. That it is a good work that needs a good return and requires that we work together. The other thing I said you would see each week is uh, you'd see some form of a rope. Uh, we're using this as kind of the key image for this series. Uh, I shared with you this rope last week. Uh, it's an expression of what we find just a few verses later in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. It speaks of a triple braided cord not being easily broken. And so you see this rope is made up of uh, three separate ropes that are braided together. Uh, I, I pointed out that if you looked more closely at each individually, you'll see that, uh, that each strand is made up of uh, an even larger number of individual strands. And if you look even closer, each individual strand is made up of a, a larger number of fibers that have been woven together. And, and this is the image we want to have before us as we think about the great work that is before us, that the strength and the vitality of, of, of our life together, what we can do in the future for the sake of what God would lead us to do for his, for his kingdom, uh, it is defined in the same way by the strength of this rope, that it's in the unity of, of the fibers uh, of this rope, the, the, the strength of it, uh, to, for whatever practical application you would use it for, whatever weight you would like to carry or move, the strength is found in the unity of each of those fibers together. And that's the same type of unity and commitment that we want to have together as we look uh, to our future. Uh, last week I shared uh, a few things I just want you to hear again in, in terms of words for you as, as, as a congregation as we look to the future, that God believes in you, your leadership believes in you, and I believe in you. And just in case you would hear that as, well, that's just the pastor being nice. That's what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to be nice and encouraging. If you would hear that that way, I, I, I want you to know those are words that are born out of my own life of prayer. They're, they're born out of the prayers that I've been praying for you and for our future for many years, most especially in the last year as we have moved forward through this process uh, and, and anticipating coming together for this particular campaign. I've been praying for you and I've been praying for our future and those are the words that God has continually planted in my heart and my soul for me to hear but for me to also share with you. So I want you to hear them in that way. Those are affirmations of God's spirit at work in this congregation, a reminder that God believes in you, your leadership believes in you, and, and, and the encouragement I've received to, uh, David, tell them, you believe in them too. I believe in you. I believe in our future. And out of that, this is the conviction I'm carrying forward, and I want to invite you to claim this uh, for yourself. My conviction moving forward is that there are more than enough resources to achieve God's dreams. That, 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 that fear or worry, that that... that I can set that aside, we can set that aside because this, this, is, this is the reality. There are more than enough resources to achieve God's dreams. Now, the sacrifice it may require of any of us individually may be more than we may want to do, but there are more than enough resources to achieve God's dreams, which is why one of the most important things any of us can do as we move forward in these weeks is to come before God each day and to simply ask that question, Lord, what would you do through me? What would you do through me? And respond as God as God would lead you. Now, as you think about that prayer, 
I want you to hear this weekend uh, specifically what your church is asking of you, what your leadership is asking of you as we move forward and we seek to make wise decisions for our future. I hope you've already picked up uh, this uh, journal. If you haven't, you can get one today uh, in your, uh, they're, they're spread out throughout all of our worship spaces. Inside this journal is this commitment card. And before you start hyperventilating, we're not doing anything with this card today, okay? But inside this card, you will see the specific thing that is being asked of you. And this is what it is. If you call First Methodist Mansfield home, we are asking for you to prayerfully consider a financial commitment to this project. That is over the course of three years, 2019, 2020, and 2021, and that is above and beyond your regular giving. Now, why is it above and beyond your regular giving? Because it is not our intention to say to youth ministry or children's ministry or missions ministry outreach, it's not our intention to say, y'all can't do anything for the next three years because this is what we're doing. We're gonna stop doing the work of the church so that we can do this other thing. No, it's not what we're doing. We are going to continue to do the work of the church while we invest in the future of the church. And what we're asking for you to share at the end of this series on this card is that specific commitment, meaning, Whatever you regularly give, don't include here, but what you would set aside for the sake of this project over the course of the next three years. Again, I want you to hear the specifics so you know exactly what it is that is being brought before you, but also here today uh, and in the next weeks, I want us to know the details. I want you as a congregation to understand what your leadership is bringing to you, what what your leadership is asking of you. But I also want to guard ourselves against getting lost in the weeds among all the details that are being shared with you over the course of these weeks. It would be easy for us to do that. Uh, But as we move through this series, uh, we're talking more about the bigger picture and what it is that we are seeking to do together. And, And I want to frame that for us today around this idea that building a building is about so much more than a building. Building a building is about so much more than a building. And to illustrate that, I mean, just, just think about it this way. I want you to imagine that we all found ourselves stuck on a desert island. Now, before you look around the room and, and ask yourself, are these the people I wanna be stuck with? Just set that aside for a second. That's, just, that's, that's the situation we found ourselves in. And after a, a few days, perhaps a week, w- w- we found ourselves thinking, I don't think anybody else is coming. We've been waiting for a rescue, but the rescue that we had hoped for is not happening. And so out of that sense of desperation, perhaps we got together and we said, we're gonna have to do something ourselves. And the decision that we made, the dangerous decision that we made was that in response to this predicament, we were gonna get together and we were gonna build a boat to save ourselves. And so we talked amongst ourselves to see who had some expertise and out of that we maybe came up with a design and and then we divided out the work. Uh, Here's the supplies that we need to gather from the island. Here's the tools that we need to fashion to, to build this boat. And over the course of weeks, probably months, we set ourselves to that task. And at the end, when the boat was finished, we, we, we probably would all take a moment, but only a moment, to kind of bask in the glory of that and think, wow, look what we did. We built a boat. We didn't think we could do this, but man, we, we, we built a boat together. But at that moment, none of us would be confused about what was next. None of us at that moment would, would think, 
well, that was great. I wonder why we did this. Like, was this just to pass the time, a nice team building exercise? No, all of us would be totally clear on the idea that because the boat was finished, it would be now time to move to the next phase of the project because the next phase was the point. The point wasn't just to do something together. The point wasn't just to build something we could look at and think, wow, isn't that grand? The point was to put the boat in the water, to get in the boat. And the point was for, for lost people to have the chance to find their way home. And that would have been totally clear from the very beginning that the goal wasn't just to build a boat. The goal was for lost people to find their way home. So think about the work of the church that we do. And, and again, I told you you'd see a different expression of a rope each week. This week, I want you to think about this expression of a rope, uh, the, the image of a net. And as you think about the image of a net, uh, keep in mind the, uh, the story we find in Matthew chapter four, verses 18 through 19. Uh, Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Verse 19, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. So Jesus, at the very beginning of his ministry, he's walking along the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee. He sees these two brothers. These are the first disciples that he calls. He notices that they are fishermen and, and understanding what their life was about and, and, and how, how they, they made a living with their life. He says to them, uh, you're fishermen, but I want to teach you to fish for a, for a wholly different catch. I, I want to teach you and, and, and commission you uh, to go out and, and find people to be caught up in a way of life that I am going to train you to live. That's the calling of the disciples. That's the work of the church, to, to be the net, to, to go out and fish, but uh, to fish for something uh, different from a, a normal fisherman, to fish for people. So again, think about the work of the church, what it is that we do, what our life is all about, and think about this conviction that we share. We believe together that left to ourselves, life is hopeless. We believe that for our own lives, but we believe that for all of life. We believe that without Christ, life is hopeless. Life is hopeless. It's one of the fundamental core convictions of the Christian faith. Without Christ, life is hopeless. And when we think about that life without Christ, there's maybe a couple different expressions of that. The one we often think about is we think about those who do not know Christ. We think about those who have never heard the gospel or never uh, come to any sort of understanding of how the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus has any connection to their ongoing life. And so when you think about the image of the net and you think about those who don't know Christ, maybe you think about, well, I think we're supposed to go kidnap people and, and catch them in the net and bring them to the church so they can hear the gospel. And that, that, that idea of people who don't know Christ uh, being, being found, that, that's certainly a part of this. But, but there's another aspect uh, of this life of hopelessness. It's one that we often don't think about. But it's one that's important perhaps because it is the one that's most dangerous for us and that is the person who knows Christ and yet still seeks to live their everyday life without Christ. Seeing faith or seeing Christ is just, he's a really great life coach. I mean, when I'm in a, when I'm in a bind, when I need help with a specific problem, I can turn to Jesus. But you know, the rest of my life, I got this all kind of figured out by myself. I'll be okay, I'll, uh, th th this, will, this will all go fine. And yet that is not 
That's not the gospel. That's not the message that we believe. We believe that without Christ, the knowledge uh, and awareness of his love and grace at work in the world, seeking to work in our lives, without that knowledge and without his power at work in our life, life is hopeless. And that you know one of the, the great vulnerabilities of the church, God's people at work in the world, is well-intentioned Christians who simply don't see their desperate need for Christ every single day. This happens in the church as we move through different stages of our lives. And when we make transitions in our life, often we lose sight of the things that are most, most uh, important for us. And so we find ourselves in a different season of life. The church had great meaning for us in this season, but we think, well, maybe, maybe I don't need the church anymore. And we don't realize that by thinking that we don't need the church, what we are essentially saying is, I don't need Christ. Because Christ's presence and power works through the body, the body that is his body, the church gathered together in connection with one another. It's both of these things. So when we think about the work that we do, whatever it is, work that we do to bless kids and youth, the work that we do to bless others in our local community, work that we do when we come together in the, uh, in, within the life of the church for worship and, uh, and to, to hear, the, hear the word, work that we do in, in our prayer life, in our investment in reading scriptures, everything that we do, even when it comes to uh, expanding the, the future life of the church, everything shares the same mission, the same purpose. It's about making disciples of Jesus Christ who love God, love others, and serve the world. Or said more simply, if you need that, our work together is always towards the goal of changing lives. Our work together is always, always, always towards the goal of changing lives, which is why a building, it's always more than a building. It's always more than, than brick and, and wood and, and, and it being put together in a way that, that is helpful. It is, it's about the mission that we share of changing lives. And here's one of the things that is remarkable about your story. What's remarkable about the story of this church uh, over the course of almost a century and a half, by the way, What's remarkable is that this church has never lost sight of that. This church at very significant seasons in its life, not only the seasons that we have experienced in recent decades, but going all the way back to its founding in 1885, this church has had the wisdom and understanding that the mission is always this, it's about changing lives. It's about investing in one another. It's about investing in future generations. All throughout your history, you have somehow kept your focus on that idea. And because of that, this church has made incredible steps over the course of many decades, following Christ, seeking to be faithful to whatever God's future might be. And again, uh, that's not just recent years, that's all throughout the history of this church. Last spring, I spent a lot of time just, just visiting with leaders who, who were uh, of critical importance at different points in the, in the life of this church, so visiting with former pastors, researching the history of this church. And part of why I did that, I'll be honest with you, part of why I did that is I wanted to, I wanted to find the source of that. 
I, w- I wanted to identify the, maybe the one person or the one leader who, who, who planted that seed of faith in this church. I didn't, I didn't find that. It was simply the collective faith all throughout the many generations of this church family, the collective faith of understanding that this, this is about changing lives. And the other thing that's remarkable about your story is this church has never bought into the lie that the church belongs to you. You've never bought into that lie. A lie that I will tell you and any pastor will tell you is cancerous to the future of that particular congregation. When a church buys into the lie that the church belongs to them, when the church says that this church belongs to me, it's my church. Here's what it's so easy for us to do. It's for easy for us when we think about the future of my church to think about my needs to think about my hopes, to think about my dreams, to think about my experience of the church and the desire to preserve that, that, that individual experience. I, I, want, I want my experience to, to, to continue on in the future. Or even, it, this, it gets very subtle, even when we think about the kind of church we want our church to be. As if it is our dreams that we are seeking to bring into fruition. One of the ways that we all do this, don't worry, I'm not picking on you because pastors do it too, is we think about the church that we would want the church to be. Pastors think about the church that they would want to pastor, thinking that the church somehow is always going to have that particular pastor as the leader and forgetting that the church belongs to Jesus. And the church must be what Jesus would want it to be, not what we would want it to be, not what we would dream it would be. Not what our needs might be, but what God would want it to be and dream for it to become for future generations who will one day receive the baton that we pass as they carry the mission forward of always, always changing lives. That idea is not only cancerous to a church, it's it's cancerous to our own spiritual life when when we see faith simply through the lens of our own experience and our own needs. We forget that the church is something so much bigger than that. And in a season like this, that is exciting for some, as we think about the future, hopefully for all of us, this is one of those moments where it would be easy for us to just think, well, a building is nothing more than a building. It's about a project. It's about doing something good together that we can all be proud of. No, it's about God's dream. It's about what God would want our church to be. And it's about our challenge to be faithful to where God would lead us into the future. And this is a church, it's remarkable. I promise you it's remarkable, but that is a part of who you are as a church. That is who you have always been. In recent months, I've had the great joy of of sitting down with so many individuals and families just to share the vision that has been put together by our building planning team to invite feedback. We've been working on this for more than a year with, with leaders and having lots of those individual conversations. And one of the extra blessings, the treats for me is I've also had the chance to hear so many of your stories. I've had the chance to learn so much uh, about uh, uh, families like the, the Wingate family and to hear from Greg and Frida about their experience here that you, that you heard and what this church has meant to them, the various roles that they've played in the life of the church. And, uh, and, and again, just the value it's created for them and, and for their family. I had the chance to meet with, uh, with an individual uh, whose dad uh, came to be the pastor here in June of 1969. He was, I think, 13 years old. 
uh, and he's been here ever since. Next year, uh, he wanted me to know he's excited to celebrate 50 years of being a member here in this congregation. He also pointed out to me, uh, celebrated, that when he came to the church in 1969, again, 12 or 13 years old, he said when we pulled into the church parsonage, uh, Greg's dad and Greg were the ones who met us there. And in the next couple weeks, I was on Greg's baseball team that Greg's dad was coaching. Talked about that relationship that, again, has lasted uh, for more than 50 years. The other family I had the chance to, to visit with, or one of the others, was the Mitchell family, Austin and Lori. I'll show you a picture because you may not know who they are. This is a picture from uh, their son Thomas's wedding. Uh, so he's there with his, uh, his bride, Eden, and then next to him is his sister, Danny, and, and her husband. Uh, I've known the Mitchell family fairly well over the course of the last uh, uh, almost 14 years because when I came here in 2005, uh, Danny was a junior in high school and Thomas was a freshman. Uh, Danny was in my wife's small group uh, when, we, when we came to the church and I had the chance to spend a lot of time with Thomas and see him grow in his life. And so this is a family that I knew a lot about. I didn't expect to learn anything new, but it wasn't until a few weeks ago when we sat down for a visit that I learned that when Austin and Lori came to the church for the first time, they left thinking, this isn't the church for us. It was in 1996. And in the years preceding that, the church had experienced tremendous growth. The only worship space that we had at the time uh, was the chapel space. That was the sanctuary. And because of the growth that had been experienced uh, over the course of many years, every Sunday, every worship was uncomfortably full. Now, what do I mean by uncomfortably full? Uh, just imagine it this way. You're riding in an elevator all the way to the top of the building. And along the way, more and more people get on the elevator. You're in the back, and eventually two or three more people get on that elevator who probably should have waited for the next elevator. Do you know this experience? And, and as you're riding up, you're just thinking, please let this thing keep going. I want those doors to open. I want these doors to open. I got to get out of here because it's uncomfortably full. That's what it was like each and every Sunday. And this is what Lori said to me uh, uh, in terms of how she felt after that first, first weekend. She said, because church had not been a big part of my life growing up or for Austin, his life growing up, I came that day already feeling like I didn't belong there. And what I remember feeling as we left is that there wasn't room for us here. So we didn't come back for several years. Now what led to them coming back was they saw that the church built a new sanctuary. And when they saw that, Lori said, we thought, well, maybe there is room for us. Maybe they want to make room for others. And maybe we should give that church a second chance. And she said, because we did, we found a home here. And this has been our home ever since. And that right there is a pretty good story, right? I mean, that right there is enough to, to under, give us a, a clear understanding of what a, of what a building means. Even a sanctuary space that we, that we love and we treasure and we think about the beauty and we think about the work that happens here. We think about what is holy about this place. We, we think about changing lives. We think about making room for others. But, but Lori didn't stop there as she, talked, as she shared her own story. She said, what's remarkable for me, what's amazing to me, is she said, when I look at the life of my kids, I look at the, the spouses that they have chosen to share their life with. Uh, both of these uh, kids, by the way, are expecting grandkids for Lori, which she is just a little bit excited about. You know, on a scale of one to 10, she's three or four right now. She's, she's fairly excited. She has two grandkids coming. 
She talked about seeing where they are in their life, the professions that they've each chosen, the foundation that was developed so early on in their life. And she says, she said to me, they have so much that I didn't have because they had a church home that I didn't have when I was growing up. And I'm just so thankful that their experience and who they become is, is so radically different. She said, this will always be home because of what this church did for my kids. It's a picture of, uh, next one is uh, Lori and her two kids uh, from our 2016 trip to the Holy Land. That's the Temple Steps in Jerusalem. Uh, I love this next picture. I just, I, I have to share it with you. This is, this is Thomas. You've heard in the Bible about doubting Thomas. Uh, this was, uh, we were remembering our baptism in the Jordan River. This is the legend of shivering Thomas. So it was a little cold that day in the Jordan River. And so as, jo- as Thomas you know, he kind of came up like this, like, do you want to remember your baptism? It was pretty funny because he weighs 110 pounds when he's soaking wet. So he was really cold that day. Uh, but Thomas uh, is a pastor today. Uh, he serves as the campus minister at the UTA Wesley Foundation. His, uh, his sister is a speech therapist uh, serving kids uh, in, in our community. Uh, again, two young people who belong to you. They're yours. This, this is their home uh, who are serving God in tremendous ways because of the home that you provided for a family who who first thought there's not room for us here, but then the church made a decision to make room for others to come and to find here what, what those in the church at the time had already found for themselves. Do not be confused as we move forward. Do not get lost in the weeds. Do not forget that the work of the church is always about the goal of changing lives. An investment in the future is not just an investment in a building that we will look at and say, well, that's really nice. It's an investment in a resource that is made holy by the work that happens in that space, by the lives that are changed and the generations that are forever altered because lost people find their way home. People experience change on an ongoing basis as they learn to understand the life that is the life in Christ. This is what we do, regardless of the expression. It's always about this work. It's about inviting people to be connected to the body and finding a life that is filled with the hope that an old life could never have. That's why we do everything that we do. Let's pray. Loving God, we again commit to you the future of this church. And we recognize, Lord, that this church is yours. It always has been and always will be. You have given us the awesome task and responsibility of being a temporary steward of this great movement at work in the world. And we simply pray, Lord, that you would find us faithful just as you have found faithful those who have come before us. Lord, challenge us in the weeks ahead as we come to you in prayer asking, what would you have us do? But Lord, as we pray and as we seek you, help us to know with real clarity what everything that we do is about. 
giving thanks for the change you are bringing in our life and asking for you to lead us in sharing that gift with others. In your name, we pray today and we live. Amen. Amen.